Section 14 of Nye and Riley's Wit and Humor. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Nye and Riley's Wit and Humor. Section 14. A Letter of Acceptance. By Bill Nye. The secretary of the Ashfield Farmers Club of Ashfield, Massachusetts, Mr. E. D. Church, informs me by United States mail that upon receipt of my favorable reply, I will become an honorary member of that club, along with George William Curtis, Professor Norton, Professor Stanley Hall of Harvard, and other wet-browed toilers in the catnip-infested domain of agriculture. I take this method of thanking the Ashfield Farmers Club, through its secretary, for the honor thus all so unworthily bestowed, and joyfully accept the honorary membership, with the understanding, however, that during the county fair, the solemn duty of delivering the annual address from the judges' stand in tones that will not only ring along down the corridors of time, but go thundering three times around a half-mile track and be heard above the rhythmic plunk of the hired man who is trying to ascertain, by means of a large maul and thumping machine, how hard he can strike, shall fall upon Mr. Curtis or other honorary members of the club. I have a voice that does very well to express endearment or other subdued emotions, but it is not effective at a county fair. Spectators see the wonderful play of my features, but they only hear the low refrain of the haughty Clydesdale steed, who has the nasal voice and wears his tail in a Grecian coil. I received a hundred and fifty dollars once for addressing a racetrack one mile in length on the use and abuse of ensilage as a narcotic. I made the gestures, but the sentiments were those of the four-ton Percheron charger, little medicine, damn eloquent. I spoke under a low shed in rather adverse circumstances. In talking with the committee afterwards, as I wrapped up my gestures and put them back in the shawl strap, I said that I felt almost ashamed to receive such a price for the sentiments of others, but they said that was all right. No one expected to hear an agricultural address. They claimed that it was most generally purely spectacular, and so they regarded my speech as a great success. I used the same gestures afterwards in speaking of the great falling off among bareback riders in the circuses of the present day. I would also like to be excused from any duties as a judge of curly-faced stock, or as an umpire of ornamental needlework. After a person has had a fountain pen kicked endwise through his chest by the animal to which he has awarded the prize, and later on has had his features worked up into a giblet pie by the owner of the animal to whom he did not award the prize, he does not ask for public recognition at the hands of his fellow citizens. It is the same in the matter of ornamental needlework and gaudy quilts, which go to man to drink and death. While I am proud to belong to a farmer's club and change works with a hardy whole-souled plowman like George William Curtis, I hope that at all county fairs or other intellectual hand-to-hand -hand contests between outdoor orators and other domestic animals, I may be excused and that when judges of inflamed slumber robes and restless tidies which roll up and fall over the floor, or adhere to the backs of innocent people, or stiff, hard, Doric pillow-shams which do not in any way enhance the joys of sleep, or beautiful pale blue satin pin-cushions which it would be wicked to put a pin in, and which will therefore and forever mock the man who really wants a pin, 
just as a beautiful match safe stands idly through the long vigils of the night year after year only to laugh at the man who staggers towards it and falls up against it and finds it empty or like the glorious inkstand which is so pretty and so fragile that it stands around with its hands in its pockets acquiring dust and dead flies for centuries so that when you are in a hurry you stick your pen into a small chamber of horrors i say when the judges are selected for this department i would rather have my name omitted from the panel as i have formed or expressed an opinion and have reasonable doubts and conscientious scruples which it would require testimony to remove and i am not qualified anyway and i have already been placed in jeopardy once and that is enough mr church writes that the club has taken up discussed and settled all points of importance bearing upon agriculture from the tariff up to the question of whether or not turpentine poured in a cow's ear ameliorates the pangs of hollow horn he desires suggestions and questions for discussion that shows the club to be thoroughly alive it will soon be spring and we cannot then discuss these matters new responsibilities will be added day by day in the way of stock and we will have to think of names for them would it not be well before the time comes for active farm work to think out a long list of names before the little strangers arrive nothing serves to lower us in the estimation of our fellow farmers or the world more than the frequent altercations between owners and their hired help over what name they shall give a weary wobbly calf who has just entered the great arena of life full of hopes and aspirations perhaps but otherwise absolutely empty let us consider this before spring fairly opens so that we may be prepared for anything of this kind one more point may properly come before the club at its next meeting and i mention it here because i may be so busy at washington looking after our other interests that i cannot get to the club meeting i refer to the evident change in climate here from year to year and its effect upon seeds purchased to florists and seedsmen generally twenty years ago you could plant a seed according to directions and it would produce a plant which seemed to resemble in a general way the picture on the outside of the package now under the fluctuating influences of irresponsible isotherms phlegmatic springs rare june weather and overdone weather in august i find it almost impossible to produce a plant or vegetable which in any way resembles its portrait is it my fault or is it the fault of the climate i wish the club would take hold of this at its next regular meeting i first noticed the change in the summer of seventy two i think i purchased a small package of early scotch plaid curled kale with a beautiful picture on the outside it was as good a picture of scotch kale as i ever saw i could imagine how gay and light-hearted it was the day when it went up to the studio and had its picture taken for this purpose a short editorial paragraph under the picture stated that i should plant in quick rich soil in rows four inches apart to a depth of one inch cover lightly and then roll i did so no farmer of my years enjoys rolling better than i do in a few weeks the kale came up but turned out to be a canard i then waited two weeks more and other forms of vegetation made their appearance none of them were kale a small delegation of bugs which deal mostly with kale came into the garden one day looked at the picture on the discarded paper then examined what had crawled out through the ground and went away i began to fear then that climatic influences had been at work on the seeds but i had not fully given up all hope 
At first the plants seemed to waver and hesitate over whether they had better be wild parsnips or lima beans. Then I concluded that they had decided to be foliage plants or rhubarb. But they did not try to live up to their portraits. Pretty soon I discovered that they had no bugs which seemed to go with them, and then I knew they were weeds. Things that are good to eat always have bugs and worms on them, while tansy and castor oil go through life unmolested. I ordered a new style of gladiola eight years ago of a man who had his portrait in the bow of his seed catalogue. If he succeeds no better in resembling his portrait than his gladiolas did in resembling theirs, he must be a human onion, whose presence may easily be detected at a great distance. Last year I planted the seeds of a watermelon which I bought of a New York seedsman who writes war articles winners and sells garden seeds in the spring. The portrait of this watermelon would tempt most any man to climb a nine-rail fence in the dead of night and forget all else in order to drown his better nature and his nose in its cool bosom. People came from miles to look at the picture of this melon and went away with a pleasant taste in their mouths. The plants were a little sluggish, though I planted in hills far apart each way in a rich warm loam enriched by everything that could make a sincere watermelon get up and hump itself. The melons were to be very large indeed, with a center like a rose. According to the picture, these melons generally grew so large and plenty that most everybody had to put sideboards on the garden fence to keep them from falling over into other farms and annoying people who had all the melons they needed. I fought squash bugs, cutworms, hessian flies, chinch bugs, curculio, mange, pip, drought, dropsy, caterpillars, and contumely till the latter part of August when a friend from India came to visit me. I decided to cut a watermelon in honor of his arrival. When the proper moment had arrived and the dinner had progressed to the point of fruit, the tropical depths of my garden gave up their season's wealth in the shape of a low-browed citron, about as large and as succulent as a hot ball. I have had other similar experiences, and I think we ought to do something about it if we can. I have planted the seed of the morning glory in the moonflower and dreamed at night that my home looked like a florist's advertisement. But when leafy June came, a bunch of Norway oats and a hill of corn were trying to climb the strings nailed up for the use of my non-resident vines. I have planted with song and laughter the seeds of the ostensible pansy and carnation, only in tears to reap the bachelor's button and the glistening foliage of the sorghum plant. I have planted in faith in a deep warm soil with pleasing hope in my harvest and a dark red picture on the outside of the package, only to harvest the low vulgar jimson weed and the night-blooming bull-thistle. Does the mean temperature or the average rainfall have anything to do with it? If statistics are working these changes, they ought to be stopped. For my own part, however, I am led to believe that our seedsmen put so much money into their catalogues that they do not have anything left to use in the purchase of seeds. Good religion and very fair cookies may be produced without the aid of caraway seed, but you cannot gather nice, fresh, trained figs of thistles or expect much of a seedsman whose plants make no effort whatever to resemble their pictures. Hoping that you will examine into this matter and that the club will always hereafter look carefully in this column for its farm information, I remain, in a sitting posture, yours truly, Bill Nye. End of section 14. Recording by Philip Gould.